take a trip with us to New Bog. Just promise not to drink the goo. If you get sucked into the matrix, we will send a phone for you. Do you believe in fate? But every movie has a plot hole. Welcome to a very special Plotaholics podcast. Today we cover more sports films as we continue the month of March. Nothing but sports wall-to-wall coverage. I'm joined as always by Brian, the B-Man Tan. Brian, how are you today? Oh, well, what you have to know there, Shane, is that when you're on the field and you're going to go, 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 but you got to be careful because if your head's not on the swivel, you're going to get hit like boom. That's right. That's what I always say. That is what I've always said. That's what I'll continue to say until the day I die. Today, it's Brian. Be amazing, baby. Today we've got any given Sunday. Oh, uh, any given Sunday. You're either gonna win or you're gonna lose. But can you win or lose like a man? Boom. That's right, uh, Brian. Welcome to another episode of the Plotaholics Podcast. <laughs> I'm Shane Wilson, and as always, I'm joined by Brian, the B Man Tan. You know what's funny is that that was my nickname as a little kid. Too. Is that right? <laughs> yep. I had a cousin who used to always call me the B Man. Nice. Um, yes. Yeah, so Brian B, man. <laughs> welcome to. Yeah, right. Uh, welcome to uh, the second week of our sports block of film programming. Uh, this week, we are discussing the 1999 football film. Any given wow. Sunday. It is crazy that this film is that old. Yes. And wow. its age is starting to show a little bit. Uh, in most, some instances. Well, and I was going to say mostly just in the way that the rules of football have changed. Kind of. Yeah. Because, you know, what's funny is that specifically in the first game that we um, come across in the movie, every time he's getting hit, after, every time Beeman gets hit after a play, and I'm like, yeah, that's a flag roughing the passer. Yeah, right. That's and, a flag and, and, roughing the passer. <laughs> And then when he scores in the playoff game, I'm like, oh, that would have been reviewed. Like we wouldn't have had that instant call for victory. Right there. there, We would have been waiting like five, 10 minutes for the referees to watch every single angle. And then there's Gene Steratore giving us all kinds of this, that, and the other. Yeah. And then it would be announced like, but there's, there's also aspects of it too. I'm not sure because I haven't been on a football field in some time, but I think just some verbiages might be slowly being changed as well. Like, you know, the F word getting thrown out there, you know, as freely as it was. Yeah. And, and the N word, right. I mean, now there's penalties for using for saying it on the field. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's true. But, but even in aspects like that though, but the, the real, I really feel like, a lot of football 
is captured more in this film than in any other football movie. To be yeah, honest. I would I would say that it, it, it this film does for the actual game of football what Friday Night Lights the series did for the people that play football. Right. Uh, no, I I agree. Well, I think this is also probably for a football universe that has a second professional football team that plays traditional football that coexists alongside the NFL yeah, being successful and stuff. I really think that this is probably the most realistic that really makes you feel like you're in this world. Right. Cause I mean, movies like, all right, like the program 1993 is the program. I feel like that takes us really into college football, much better than the film necessary roughness does. Mm -hmm. But this one really makes me feel like I'm really dealing with, professional football players well and this is something that we'll probably talk a, a good bit about uh there is uh obviously oliver stone right uh and gives he, it instant gravity this gives it instant credibility right right and oliver stone and he has made i think a very deliberate choice in the way that the football scenes are filmed and shown that mm -hmm. makes them that lends like this air of panic and chaos uh, to those moments and they Absolutely. juxtapose directly to the more calm moments in the film that are not either in the locker room or on the field when they're just like at a house party or whatever that those those sort of moments or especially when you have a uh, coach sort of on his own like those moments are a lot more calm but then when you get with the younger players uh, whether it on the field or in a, at a party or something it's there's just this chaos right and that just goes to, and that really sort of speaks to the genius, really, right? Of Oliver Stone, you know? And it's kind of funny. Every time I watch this movie, I'm like, huh, it looks like Al Pacino can do movies that aren't um, gangster related. Well, I'll tell you, Al Pacino is maybe at his best here. He really is. He, he For me, in this film, he's the best, he's among the best mixes of Godfather era. Al Pacino mm -hmm. and the devil's advocate era. Yeah. Al Pacino in my view. I, I found myself in this film. So uh, I, this came out when I was in high school and I watched it then and had, I remember enjoying it a great deal. I had a different interaction with it this time watching it. I haven't seen it since then. Um, and I just had a different, not that I enjoyed it, less but i think i enjoyed it in a different way well yeah because when this came out you know i was in my early 20s when this came actually yeah i was in my early 20s i was 20 when this came out and i just thought it was kind of cool the way um you know we got this look of football you know what i mean and i watch it kind of now and yeah i enjoy it a lot differently i watch this film at least once every year at uh, least once. Well, I think, and maybe you can speak to this uh, as someone who is 20 and someone who is now, I don't know, like 22 years older, right? Uh, yeah. Than, it, than you were when it came out. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it has something to do with the fact that when we're young, we identify more with Jamie Foxx's character. And as we mm -hmm. age, we start to identify more first with uh, the other quarterback. Um, Cap Rooney played by Cap the Rooney. great Dennis Quaid. Yeah. 
and then not and then crazy Quade, the uncrazy right. Quade. Yeah, and then eventually we will begin to uh, relate more to Coach D'Amato. Um, right, right, and I, I, th- I agree a hundred percent because you've got there th- three different characters at three different points in their in the same career, arguably, right? Correct. Um, you've got the up and comer who, I mean, now, uh, Jamie Foxx, uh, plays, uh, Willie Beeman, who is, who's been a quarterback in the league for, I think six years. Uh, yeah, and- but he's never been a starter. He, well, when he first came into the league, he was a quarterback and this was something that happened a ton to black quarterbacks. They come out of college, they go to the pros and they're made to switch positions. Right. We saw this a couple of years ago when Lamar Jackson came out of school and they tried to make him switch positions. And he said, no, I'm a quarterback. Uh, well, I think the, the most recent, almost successful version of that would be like Terrell Pryor. Terrell, uh, Pri- well, Terrell Pryor switched position. He, it was sort of the same. Well, Terrell Pryor is from Jeanette, which is just outside of Pittsburgh, maybe about it. He came out and he played quarterback and then he, he transitioned to wide receiver himself. Yeah. Well, and I think largely because he realized that that was his way in, right? Because he was not, well, that was the way for him to stay. Yeah. In. And he was successful, you know, like he's fast. He's got good hands. You know, he, he did. Okay. I mean, he's, he's really, I mean, the, the problem was, I think the problem with Terrell Pryor that he had is that he, this is a guy who had all kinds of, fanfare coming to him coming out of high school and did great in college and he's just one of those guys that didn't transition well to the pro game he wasn't able to dominate like he was used to doing right yeah uh this story here especially because of its uh 1999 production date reminded me a lot of mike vick's entry into uh the nfl for Uh, me it kind of felt a lot like yeah mike vick a little bit of cordell stewart there's yeah, a class in the past as well. Yeah, he's another guy me, that was switched. It reminded well, Jamie Fox. Well, uh, I think Willie Beeman's gameplay is a lot like Michael Vick's, and he also is coming in and replacing uh, Cap Rooney, who was very much like uh, what was that guy's name, Chris Chandler. Uh, yeah, that, that was about, that, that was the right. old white quarterback for the Falcons. Whenever Vick got there, um, yeah, or like, or am I um, using Cordell Stewart, um, Neil O'Donnell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, O'Donnell, Bubby Bristers. Yeah, so it's it's all you know, or even you know, you have like the Alex Smith, Colin Kaepernick thing. You have uh, the Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes thing. You have the Alex Smith. <laughs> right. There's just yeah. all kinds of parallels that can be made for sure. Yeah, and then you you know Willie Beeman here. Well, we should probably just slice off a little summary really fast. Uh, if we can find one that's worth a damn to read, I mean, ultimately it's, we've, we've basically done it, but, um, God, I don't want to read none that. of, none of those are good that I saw. They're no, really they're, not. they're not. I mean, oh, well, well one, one other thing that I want to throw in real quick as you're searching. Yeah. This was the first to me anyway, this was the. the main like among the main starring roles that could be taken i don't want to say taken seriously but it sort of showcased his talent because you figure and i'm looking at his filmography you know his first film was toys back in 92 then he was in rock on in living color did some voiceover work a lot of sort of 
guest starring stuff. And then he had a supporting role in The Great White Hype, but he was just there as, you know, comedy fluff. And then he had the starring role in Booty Call, which is not a super memorable film. Mm-hmm. And then um, The Players Club, which, again, not a super memorable film. But this was really his breakout. This was the breakout. This is what let folks know that Jamie Foxx was a lister material. Yeah, because it is not a long trip from from this film to Ray, which it was, which is really where he grows into it. Right. Yeah, because Ray was five years later before Ray. He was in Ali and um, he played um, Stanley Tukey Williams in the in the TV movie Redemption. So, yeah, this this is the film that laid the groundwork for Jamie Foxx, you know? Yeah, and uh, and he's had a wildly successful film career ever oh, since. I cannot wait for Spawn to yeah. come out. I cannot wait for Spawn. And I can't wait to see him in Spider-Man No Way Home. I can't wait for that. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's cool that they've found a way to bring some of those characters back over from the amazing spider-man that just weren't they like that the they suffered for a bad script yeah but Um, you know the one thing that i will say and i saw this on tiktok since you know you brought up the amazing spider-man the comparisons when they when they compare peter parker's right yeah i still say and i said this before and i'll continue to say it andrew garfield was the best was way was a way superior spider-man than toby mcguire toby mcguire was overtly awkward now granted toby mcguire's peter parker pre-powers kind of works but andrew garfield was a better spider-man Andrew garfield just wasn't a good peter parker though he was he had too much swag way too much swag but even but he still had the um once he got his powers he was still a bit of a smart guy. Yeah. I think that I think the problem with Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker is that he's more fit for college age Peter Parker, where college age Peter Parker, he wasn't a nerd anymore. He was cool. He could yeah. be sort of sharp witted. If you're and I, that's why I think that Tom Holland is the best of both, because he can be the awkward kid that isn't quite sure that overcompensates, but once he's Spider-Man. He's that smart mouth. Yeah. Imagine Sam Raimi getting a hold of the Spider-Man franchise today and having Tom Holland in Spider-Man 2. Oh, like that's that is the that's perfect the, comic movie. Because that's the best Spider-Man film that we've ever gotten, even though it's not it doesn't have the best Spider-Man in it, you know? Uh Very it's true. still it's still the best. It's better than anything the MCU has done, and it's better than anything that we've gotten since then. It like Spider-Man 2 was peak Spider-Man. Uh and the me. fact that he was able to do that with a, a less superior Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Toby Maguire is a totally capable actor. But uh, he's not, he's not Spider-Man. Right. But he's fine at the human moments, right? Like he's not necessarily great at the spider-man stuff but he was good at the at the human element of until he until he danced well that's a different movie we yeah that's anyway. the worst that's the worst timeline that's where they i really think that's where the timeline split and we're living in the worst one because we got emo spider-man yeah and i think that's also the timeline where we have a- evil abed yeah for sure mm-hmm. uh however so- any given sunday exists in all <laughs> timelines um 
and it, it, it I, I never really found a great summary. So here's here's really what it is, what it all boils down to, right? You have an aging coach who has to deal with a like a hot-headed young rising star who doesn't appreciate the traditional way that they play the game. He changes plays in the huddle. Um, and so there's this conflict between the individual and the team. There's also a conflict here between the uh, power of the owners and the power of the coaches. There's also a play here uh, about the um, lessons that you learn as you age, right? Like, I mean, that's, there's, a, there's several different themes at play here and several different power struggles that sort of drive the conflict. Uh, but at the at its core, it is uh, it is drawing parallels between the modern game of football and the traditional sort of gladiator arena type entertainment. Uh, and the in the film is not shy about drawing those comparisons at all. It's really not, and I especially love when. Well, I love the casting in this film. You and I talk a lot about how casting is so important. And if you don't have Al Pacino as Coach D'Amato, I don't see who else you could put in there. It's interesting because we talked the same way about the replacements, our football movie from last year. <laughs> yeah. That, that is really, and this movie's the same way. When you have a football movie or any kind of team movie like this, you end up having so many interesting people in it. And here, just from the... Um, the actors that would go on to become A-listers to the actors that were already A-listers to the cameos from like uh, football players. Well, and like Lawrence Taylor and And uh, Lawrence Taylor, man, he could act his ass off. Yeah, for sure. Um, You've got, you got Dennis Quaid, you got Jamie Foxx, James Woods, LL Cool J. You've got Cameron Diaz. You've got, you know, just the list. Matthew Modine. Yeah. The the list for this film. Jim Brown. And even even people that are decent actors, but you don't really see much of them. Like Bill Bellamy is hilarious as a comedian, but in this film, he is a great, like there's, if you could find one weak link in this film, Shane, as far as actors, who would you pick? Oh my God. Um, because I can't find it. I mean, God, you, how do you, you have the balls to have Anne Margaret as a, in a small supporting character role yeah. and margaret yeah Who's i mean honestly the, there it is it's absolutely stacked uh i don't know did you mention aaron eckhart oh my um, god aaron mr two-face himself aaron eckhart oh my goodness gianni russo who is another guy where you know you see him in films and you're like he's one of those guys where you don't know the name but you know the face, yeah, and you know who Gianni, um, who Gianni Russo is, correct? I am drawing a blank. Let me Carlo, Carlo uh, from The Godfather. That's right, which uh, is a film that we will be discussing. I cannot in wait. just a few weeks. I cannot wait for that. I um, cannot wait. You also have uh, the showgirl herself, Elizabeth Berkeley, Jesse Spano. Dude, Jesse Spano is great in this film. Like. Wow. And then, I mean, Clifton Davis, John C. McGinley, Dwayne Martin. And we just had Dwayne Martin last week. We th- This is a, a two squares of Dwayne Martin who played um, um, Flight 
he no no he played he either played Willie or Flight in um, White Man Can't Jump. He plays Willie's agent in this episode. Yeah, uh, Dwayne. I think you mean the Wayne. That's how he prefers to be. The Wayne. Oh, yeah, excuse the, me. The Wayne. The Wayne Sorry. Martin. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, not you know, Do, not Dwayne. Dwayne. That's what they call him on the courts. Gotcha. But, <laughs> um, no, the uh, yeah. So if we can get into the story a little bit, the opening, uh, the the honestly, the movie starts like just about any football movie starts, uh, yeah. which is that the starter goes down and the young kid has to come in. Dude, it's, that hit was horrid too. Like every like that hit is like, dude, the choreography in the football scenes are just amazing because those hits don't feel fake they don't they don't feel and a lot of it has to do with and and i think now is probably as, as good a time as any to talk about the way that those things are shot it is not easy to watch the football scenes it's not because well and the thing is they really you know a lot of the football players that had cameos and worked in this really worked with them as well because when they're at the bottom when you're in a scrum like that all kinds of crap happen yeah like all kinds of crap happens and the trash talking and all that. I mean, that, that it's real, but you see cap get drilled. Yeah. And <laughs> so does his backup. Oh man. Cherubini is, <laughs> you want to talk about the worst backup quarter? Like, like how does he even have a job? <laughs> He's man, horrible. Yeah. He, he was, he was no good. And you know, I felt for Willie Beeman at first because I thought here's a guy who's just like, collecting the, the easiest paycheck of his life right like that's like peyton manning's backup i know right like if you got cap rooney if now the way they show cap the way they describe cap rooney in this film for the uninitiated it's almost like you've got peyton manning and tom brady put together in one quarterback yeah he's he's won some championships uh and he's he's sort of at the back end of his career they said he's 38 right yeah and he's but he has the respect of everybody. Like right. he goes down and the defensive coordinator is like, we got the third string quarterback that ain't going to produce shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's trying- <laughs> now let me say, and, and I, I want to talk I, when I said that it was hard to watch the football scenes. What I really mean is that those scenes are designed to be an assault on your senses. Right. Everything is loud. The camera is crazy. The cuts are all over the place. The music is loud. The hits are loud. It's just, it is just visual and auditory chaos it's like and it is so hard to real it's football a, game. yeah it is it's like you're in a football game like it's not it really is yeah it is your field level like in the trenches with those guys and and that's something that the film does really well but it does make those scenes a tough watch right um, it's it's hype like it, the first time like that first scene you know, like I'm, I'm getting hyped watching the, the opening scene, right? When it, when we're here in and all that, but the more that you watch those scenes and like, especially the, the scene where, where they play the game and the team turns on Willie, like, Oh, that those point, are really tough to watch. They are because when he's getting hit, it's like, you feel it. Like you feel those hits. Yeah. Like every hit in this movie, you feel for sure. You, and it's like, Ooh, and you can tell when things like because one of the things that I definitely want to talk about is the contention between Willie Beeman and Julian Washington, Jamie Foxx and LL Cool J, because that was real. That wasn't just great acting. There was real beef between the two of them, and that carried into their performances. I can uh, play you a little clip. Please do. 
uh, here is Jamie Fox on any given Sunday. Little, little, a little dilly dally for you. Hollywood will make you think that though, because the way we got into it was crazy. Because what happened was he thought we was really playing football. <laughs> he thought we was really on a team. Yeah. I'm like, don't he know this is acting? Because I seen him one time, he was just running, just... I said, hey, 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 where you finna go? <laughs> we got a game. No, we don't. This is fake, don't you see the cameras? This is acting, I, I act. <laughs> I know I left my tail, I'm acting, this is fake. Anybody hit me, they gonna get fired. I'm not playing, I'm an actor. <laughs> don't hit my body. But the reason we got into it, it the way we got into it is, listen, it, it was an argument, but the argument was in the script. <laughs> this ain't really real. I'm not really saying this to you, player. Look, it says, you know, Willie Beeman, and then what, whoever you think you are right now, <laughs> it's you. Okay, I say my lines, and then you say your shit. It's not like I'm really mad at you, okay? So you want to run it again, and then we, okay, cool. Then we did the shit, and then I'm doing it, and I'm thinking in my mind, this motherfucker is... This motherfucker is really, really doing a great acting job, or he's, <laughs> he's mad for real. He's going to get an Oscar for this, because he has me fooled. <laughs> you know you, how you kind of measuring a nigga, oh, hold on, this, you know, and we get to arguing so much, and the next thing you know, he hauled off and hit me. <laughs> now, I ain't no punk about my shit, but I wasn't ready. <laughs> but I wasn't ready. <laughs> oh, man, like, it, it is, it's, it's funny to hear him talk about that, because I just get the sense that LL Cool J is like that on every set. Oh, let's see. Oh, LL Cool J is very intense. Like, I think I've heard that LL Cool J is very, very method and he right. takes acting very seriously. And, and here is another movie. Uh, put it right there next to uh, Deep Blue Sea. Another film with just a missed opportunity. Why do we not ever hear Mama Said Knock You Out in any of these movies? That's what I want to know. Like, where's that in the soundtrack? Because there's de this soundtrack definitely has space for it. And it, and it definitely it really would be does. on brand. Yeah, like, honestly, if we're going to get, like, DMX playing all the time and, yeah. and we get Kirk Franklin when Willie's throwing a, a spiral, then we can get a Mama Said Knock You Out moment. Especially in a football movie where they are coming back from being behind so often. Like, where are we? why are we not getting a Don't Call It a Comeback? Yeah. <laughs> like it's it, this this shit writes itself where's the ll cool j song in this in the soundtrack it's ridiculous exactly oh especially when he hits willie and drops him yeah why am i getting a mama said knock you out Pull. right dude like and, and look i say the same thing at deep blue sea right because he literally punches a shark <laughs> like why is that mama said knock you out like he wrote that song for these movies before I or at least for the actor. fact that he punched a shark, we should get a I'm bad. Right. Jay. <laughs> like any of that shit, man. Like, give me some, give me Mama Said Knock You Out in both of these movies. In fact, oh, give yeah. me Mama Said Knock You Out in every LL Cool J movie, even when he's on like a Law and Order SVU or whatever. Oh, on NCIS LA. Oh, if I don't get a Mama Said Knock You Out, 
Or you know what? Why don't I get a census in CIS Los Angeles? I'm going back to Cali. Right. Cali. Also, Cali. why isn't it called NCIS LL Cool A? <laughs> yes. That is a damn good question. You know what? <laughs> T- tell our intern to get Hollywood on the phone. Right. I have some demands that need met. That is that is Come right. On. We will we will get we're gonna have to get intern Timothy on the Timothy on the, on the job. Timothy, you're not gonna get your college credit, Timothy, if you don't That's set right. up a meeting. That's right, Timothy. Make it happen. Since you're one of the few relatives that I can actually stomach. Yeah, Timothy Tan. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> can I just say that this movie just shows James Woods at his most unlikable, though? Like James um, Woods is an unlikable human being. But I've loved his films for a long time. Right. But this is him at his most unlikable because he is just awful, awful in this movie. Well, and this is one of the, there are a lot of these kind of B stories in this movie that illustrate a lot of the problems in the NFL, right? And one of them is like, there's there's the issue with concussions, but there, a lot of it focuses on the medical aspect of, of football. And I really enjoyed that aspect. I love that they showed everything it's not just what happens on the field. It's yeah. what's going on in the front office. It's what's going on in the medical office. All of that. Yeah, absolutely. And so you have these great conversations where they're these these guys are essentially talking about the uh, future of these players' health, and those players aren't even in the room with them right? to have those conversations. I know, right? Like they're talking about like, oh, tell you know, cap can play, shark can't. It's like, wait, what? I mean, come on. Or no, yeah. or Cap can't play Shark can. And it's like, dude, this guy has some serious neurological impairment going on. Yeah. Come on. And the only reason why you're not going to let the other guy play is because you'd rather have the flashy quarterback. Come on now. Right. Well, and then, you know, you have at, you have sort of in the back end of the film, you have two players that are at opposite ends of they're They're both at the end of their career, but they're both struggling in different ways. Right. Because you have Cap who is cleared to play medically, but is unsure that he wants to, like he's considering hanging it up. Um, and then on the other end, you have the, the linebacker. Is that shark? Yeah. Sharks, uh, the linebacker. Played yeah. Who by, um, Lawrence Taylor. Yeah. Right. Who essentially the doctors are like, look, like you're, you had a neck injury. It didn't, it didn't heal properly. If you get hit the wrong way, it could kill you literally. Um, and, but he is willing to take the risk for financial stability. Right. Because, and the thing is, you know, this is a 20 year old movie when he's willing to do this for like a a million dollar bonus. Yeah. You know, we're still at the times where they're not making a lot of money. Right. Well, especially a linebacker at the end of his career compared to a quarterback. Right. Right. Um, like he's probably getting like veteran, uh, minimums. You know? I wouldn't even so much say veteran minimums, but he's definitely not making what say Khalil Mack makes, right? Or what um, Lawrence Taylor himself made. Because I know at one point Lawrence Taylor had the richest quarterback in foot. I mean, quarterback, the richest contract in football, right? Yeah. So it is. It is interesting to see how, and the film does that really well in a in a myriad of ways where it takes two characters and it juxtaposes their journeys or the places in there, you know, you have that with uh, Willie and uh, coach and you have that with shark and cap and you have, you know, like you, and you have that with 
the doctors too, too with, with uh, uh, shark with even shark with right yeah. well even shark with the um the defensive on um, the defensive coordinator um played by jim brown the great jim brown that's yeah, right yeah there you, you've got you've got this constant level of respect yet contention because mm-hmm. you know coaches see things and, and it happens in all forms of sports any anything that you're in com- competition for your coaches see one thing you see things another way and when your coaches are telling you stuff you're like i'm doing the best that i can in the moment quit backseat driving me. like i used to hate it when i was competing and i would come back after a round and someone's telling me well you're doing this and they're doing this do this like you ain't seeing what I'm seeing. If I stop to do what you tell me to do, I'm going to get hit harder than I want to. Yeah. There's also this through line of, um, and this is something that you hear a lot when you have uh, a non-traditional quarterback, uh, AKA a quarterback is that's not pocket pass or someone who likes to scramble. Mm-hmm. Um, you have this debate over whether or not you can train him. Like, can you teach him to be a pocket passer or do you let him be what he is? Right. Um, and there's that struggle happening here as well, right? Because Willie is getting results when he's changing the plays. He's winning the games. Yeah. Uh, he, but he, he's what I like to, if you're playing Madden, he's what I call an improviser. Yes, absolutely. And the coach, you know, calls attention to the fact that that's disrespectful, right? Right. Um, it's you know, disrespectful. You're disrespecting the people that came before you and the time it takes to game plan. That's a and really- it's like, great moment in the film whenever he uh whenever coach has him over um and and they're talking about that right um let me see if i can find that uh bit yeah because it it is well i think that when you get the chance to have al pacino by himself with jamie fox al pacino brings some greatness out of jamie fox and i really think that part of the reason why jamie fox is such a prolific actor is because i think he's a student of the craft right yeah and i'm sure he learned a lot from every all the hollywood heavyweights that he had one-on-ones with yeah i've got a little bit of that scene right here oh please ah, please Willie, please. you knew the rules you were the one that broke them broke them yeah how i break them how'd you break them you broke them that's how you I lost a million dollar signing bonus because i took a 300 dollars suit from a booster to go to this kid's wedding i didn't even know the guy what is a brother supposed to do when he in college? Huh? He ain't got no money. He want to go out on a date. want to get some nice clothes. Everybody had their hands out, but it was me they suspended. I dropped six rounds in the draft because of that. And then the coaches labeled me, oh, well, he's a troublemaker. He arrogant. He don't want to play no ball. And you talk about sacrifice. I sacrificed almost $10 million because dumb rednecks like a coaching friend in San Diego made me a cornerback because he said I got quick feet. He's the one that separated my shoulder, had me out there tackling 250-pound motherfuckers. I don't do that kind of shit. I was a great football player. But nobody gave me a time or a day or a season to let my shoulder heal. And then they just traded me out of there. That's right. You go ahead. Blame everybody but yourself, Willie. Whatever. You see, because that's what a leader's about sacrifice the times he's got to sacrifice because he's got to lead by example not by fear and not by self-pity who you think you're talking to half of my football career is over hey you want me to go back to the bench to sacrifice for the greater glory i can't believe well fuck you coach i ain't buying your brand just because you're some scared old man you feel like if i play my way i just might win then what the fuck was your life about anyway? 
You're not some flash in the pan, corner or receiver, or, or even Julian Washington. You're a goddamn quarterback! You know what that means? It's the top spot, kid. It's the guy who takes the fall. It's the guy everybody's looking at first, the leader of a team, who will support you when they understand you, who will break their ribs and their noses and their necks for you because they believe, because you make them believe. That's a quarterback. Yeah. I'm the leader of your team. Took Caps back up. Then I'm back on the bench. Shit, you ain't said two words to me. Till Cherubini went down. Then it was, uh, go out there and, and, <laughs> and play like you're in the hood. And, and you're throwing the ball. And your mama's ringing the dinner bell. All you do is talk at me, man. So I'm going to stay who I am. Steaming Willie Beeman. And with the time I got left, I'm going to play my way. Get my dollars up. So when you go to waive me, trade me, injure, reserve me, or whatever the fuck y'all do, I'll be worth ten times what I was worth before I got here. You're very, very young. And you're very, very stupid. Uh, that is a I, great yeah, scene. I hated to, to cut it off. Um, it is a really great scene. Uh, and the entire time that they're having this conversation, this is one thing that I really wanted to to, to talk about is that uh, Ben Hur is playing uh, on the television in the yeah. background, uh, which is another one of those kind of like, you know, the 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 climax of that film is uh, is the, the Charles race. Yeah, is the chariot race. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's that spectator sport thing again right right um, but well, that's why also, they refer to football as the gridiron yeah there's also this uh scene that plays whenever so at the end of that scene when willie is walking out um then uh al pacino follows him out right and uh coach damato follows him and when, where they stop over uh coach damato's shoulder you see the television and ben hur's playing and it's the scene where these guys are rowing a boat together Right. Uh, right. And it's such a visual moment of like this, the team, right? Like you have to do this together. It's get in line. And those are the people over his shoulder behind him, visually behind the coach. And they are at odds visually with Willie Beeman. Right. Uh, such an interesting visual moment. It really is. And what I really liked about that, um, that scene is that you're getting two different perspectives and they come together so well. And it's like, neither one of them, it's almost like neither one of them are really ignoring the other's point, but they're looking past it. And this is what I mean. So Willie is talking about how as a kid in college, he took $300 for a suit and he saw nothing wrong with it. And it's almost like D'Amato's not so much dismissing that what happened was wrong. But he is saying, but you're the quarterback. You're supposed to know better. He's not saying, I mean, granted, yeah, he is telling them, you know, you're giving in to self-pity and blah, blah, blah. That's where he's sort of missing Willie's point. But he's not dismissing his point. He's just saying, you know what? You're the quarterback. 
if you're going to be the quarterback, you have to know that eyes are going to be on you no matter what was essentially what he's saying. And you're expected to think ahead and make the right decisions. So you got caught. Those are the consequences. Mm-hmm. And Willie, of course, he's kind of missing the point. Like he, he's, he looks at, and this is what we talked about as far as different levels in your life. Willie sees being the quarterback as, yeah, I'm the leader of the team and I need to do whatever I have to do to win. Well, I think, COVID, the, I think the young guys have a hard time looking past next week. Right. And looking past how the decisions that you make today, what they can do tomorrow. Right. What the whereas, consequences will do tomorrow. Whereas Coach D'Amato or even Cap Rooney being later in their careers can look back. And we get a little bit of that in Coach D'Amato's big speech before the playoff game, right? Yeah. That, at, at this particular moment in his life, he can look back and see all of the mistakes that he made, but right. Willie Beeman isn't there yet. And also there's nothing that an older person can ever tell a younger person to make them understand that it's just something you have to gain from experience. Right. But I think that that conversation gave them both a ton of food for thought. Yeah. Because you see how Willie changes yeah, well, and, and then you also see how um, D'Amato changes towards him as well. Well, and they ultimately do have respect for each other and they do ultimately have a very good relationship with each other. Right. But it's because they kind of meet each other in the middle. Uh, to that coach, point, yeah. yeah well, coach, I think that, well, I think that Willie telling D'Amato, you didn't say more than two words to me until Cherubini went down. Yeah. And I think that that is what sort of changes the dynamic between the two of them right yeah because now he's like well he, he got me there yeah but then at the same token what head coach takes the time to have a conversation with the third string quarterback what well, coach does yeah right but at the same time i don't think that that's willie's ultimate point i think willie's point is when you needed me you didn't talk to me you talked at me mm-hmm Right. Like, okay, right. you don't have to sit down and have a conversation with me. I'm the third string quarterback. But when it's time for us to work together, then we got to communicate with each other. Like we you can't just like I'm not a prop. Right. And I think that that whole conversation is what really and I think that that's something that older people and that's something that I try to do. I try really, really hard to make sure I don't do when I interact with people younger than me. And when I say younger, I don't mean just five years. I mean, you know, 10 years. 15 years, 20 years. That's why you're hanging out with the kids on TikTok. Oh yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, I try to remember the me when I was in my twenties. Yeah. So that way, when I do interact with someone that's in their twenties, especially, you know, with my, with my side pro with my other projects, Uh you know, I can say, you know, when, when I was this age, this is what my mindset was. And this is what made me see things the way I, I see them now. So I'm not disputing or putting down what you see, what you think, what you feel, because I've been there before. You know what I mean? And I yeah. think that when Willie said that to him, I think that D'Amato had to sort of go back and remember how he felt in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. And like I said, that's just brilliant and then especially i mean the scenes with um you know to to segue away from willie for a minute 
the scenes with um Cap Rooney with um D'Amato and even with his wife you know mm-hmm. you see how because there's even at one point because you figure Cap Rooney here he is at the end of his career and those expectations the same ones that um Tony is sort of living with Cap is getting to that point where he's living with those choices and he even tells his wife at one point People have been telling me what to do with my life since I was a kid. Yeah, and because, then she beats him up. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, she literally beats him. Yeah. Like, she drills him in the face and tells him, look, this is what you're going to do. Like, wow. You know, it, it's it's crazy. There's so much going on in this movie. This is not just a straight-up, in-your-face football movie. This movie has so many complex layers. And shout out to Daniel Pine and John Logan writing this. And then, of course, with um, Oliver Stone involved as well, because I think that's what makes this film among the best in the genre. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I guess uh, we can talk about um, a, a beef that I have with it. OK, let's, let's talk your beef. Because it is my beef is sort of third act beef. Um, yeah, that's where most of your beef with the films we do comes from. Yeah, I think it all has to do with uh, with payoff, right? Uh, build up and payoff. And I think that so many movies do a really great job with build up, and then they don't necessarily have the payoff. Now, this movie has a nice bit of payoff, right? Mm-hmm. But then it it just bre- like the the complete resolution of it is is. Um, relegated to closing credits like you know what i mean so yeah you have you have this big build up to this this playoff game all right cool um and they we they ultimately win the sharks ultimately win this this playoff it's, game it's like, basically it's essentially the wild card yeah if well it felt like maybe they had a first round buy but they didn't have but then they would have had not a first round buy but they I guess it would be a wild card, but I was trying to figure out why there were two weeks between the end of the season and the first playoff game that they played. Yeah, that, that well, because it's a different league. It's not like, the yeah, league. right. It's that's different. fair. Uh, but so anyway, so yeah, so they're playing uh, a game and they do ultimately end up winning it. And then I, it felt also like there were two rounds because the next week they lost the championship. Well, no, it wasn't. No, they didn't make it to the championship. They lost the next playoff game. So San that Francisco. Was that. See, that felt to me like it was. It felt to me like a smaller league, and so instead of three maybe, rounds or whatever, maybe maybe that's it. Maybe that is it. But uh, they're playing. But they're playing. It seems like though they're playing a sixteen game season though. They definitely played a long ass season. Um, but yeah. So regardless, they get knocked out by San Francisco, and uh, we learned this in a press conference during the closing credits we don't see any of that game we don't see the loss we don't see how they interact with it and then the the whole movie is just tied up in this perfect little bow like coach is moving on to an expansion team that we have spent literally 45 minutes of this movie watching sports talk shows and haven't heard dick about right um and now now he's the head coach and They've given this dude full reign over all of the economic financial decisions and personnel decisions. And so now he's already signed Willie Beeman to be his head coach. And this is the first we've heard of it. No way. 
Right. Like we didn't know that. Like, well, we had we had ideas that Willie this dude's was been on fucking, his contract season. This dude's like, been fucking Jesse Spano the whole movie. When's he been taking business meetings with the Arizona with the ex- Aztecs? Albuquerque. Aztecs. Oh, yeah. The Albuquerque. And how the hell does Albuquerque get a fucking football team? Right. Albuquerque. Well, the same way Miami got two, I guess. I, well, but Miami is a much bigger hot hot spot. Then Albuquerque. That's a fair point. I mean, come on. Only person. I mean, lots of people have written songs about Miami. Only one person has written a song about Albuquerque. It felt that's to, weird. Al Yankovic. If it, it so, it felt to me a little bit like the pacing feels off because the film comes in at two and a half hours. We spend a lot of time at the beginning of the movie like in these football scenes that I feel like could be cut back a little bit. Um, like it's important to see the development of the Willie Beeman character from this kid who is like just all nerves to somebody who kind of takes ownership of the game and gets good at it. And then somebody whose team turns on him. Like these are important beats, but there has to be a way to, to, to get, to hit these beats and then still give us something, something at the end. At the end. I hear you. No, that, that makes sense. But the thing is, though, and I kind of I understand what you're saying, but I appreciate how they did it because there were only like three games left in the year to get to the playoffs. So all of this stuff happened in a very short amount of time. So yeah, I really it felt like I was watching it forever. <laughs> like it felt like I watched Jeez. the full 16 season, full 16 game season. Wow. You're like, making you're making any given Sunday sound like it's blood in blood out or something. It was. I blood honestly and here's the honest truth. The any given Sunday is at its best when it's not about football. When it's like not during when it's not when we're not watching games. Right. Uh, any given Sunday is at its best when Willie and Coach D'Amato are at the table eating jambalaya, right? It's at its best when Willie is in the uh, in the showers or in the steam room, right? Having that conversation. It's at its best when Cameron Diaz is talking about her father's legacy. It's at its best when we're focused on character. Um, The football scenes are a trudge. Like after the first one, it just felt like there's so much movement and there's so much chaos. And maybe this is the point. It just felt like I was watching the same shit every time. Well, see, I I disagree with that because unlike most football movies or even football TV shows, they took a lot of time, energy and effort in these. And it never felt like the same thing to me. It felt it always felt like different teams, different situations, even just a different. Like, you know, different games just have like a different feel. If you watch a Steeler game when they're winning compared to a game when they're losing, everything felt different. And I think maybe that's just something as a football fan and as a former player mm-hmm. that I can see, I yeah. really will see. I really enjoyed the narratives of the football scenes. And here's why, because all of the great stuff that we got in the scenes that don't involve football, we see how that character growth from those scenes carries on to the field as Woody, as Woody, as Willie's profile builds in those other scenes or the contention he has with his teammates builds in those other scenes or even his reclamation. We see how that transitions to the football field. I think it was perfect. Right. And I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm just saying I didn't have fun watching it. 
Does that make sense? Like, I'm not, I'm not, this is not a, a, a judgment on quality. This is a, this is only a personal preference that after the first football scene that was that loud and chaotic, I, I need, I think that visually I needed the form and function to, to kind of gel a little bit more because what happens is you have Willie come out into this game and it's frantic and it feels authentic. Right. But as the game slows down for him and he gets better at it, I would have liked to see those scenes smooth out some um, and, and like follow that trajectory. Like he's calmer now. Why can't, why can't we experience a calmer version? Not that it's going to be like a ballet or whatever, but like, it was just such an assault on this. It was so loud and so much movement and I get it. Like I understand what he was doing and it does work, but it's just not for me. Okay. I can understand that. I mean, it ain't going to be for everybody yeah. and that's fine. Me personally, I thought it was great. I especially loved the little moments between Tony and the other coaches, mm-hmm. you know, as the games are going on. I thought, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and, and it might have been the just the version that I was watching, or the or the sound settings on my television. That I I seriously think that like I think that for you because you you didn't play football. Right? I didn't play football. I was a football fan. I'm, yeah, I'm, you're a football I'm, fan, but I mean, being kind a, of barely at this point. But right, but I think that for people that have played the game, like act, and I'm I'm not just talking pickup game. I mean, but right, yeah, not no, just, I'm, but I mean, but that you've actually put on the pads and yeah. game planned, and you know. I think that you can watch the football scenes and appreciate them a lot. Yeah. Because you can see the care. And I mean, and and that's no, and that's not, uh, that's not impugning people that haven't. It's not, it's just, it's different. It's kind of like if we were watching, if we were doing a film where, you know, there were teacher stuff, like say we're doing, let's, let's say we do Mr. Holland's opus or stand and deliver there's going to be aspects of the teaching roles that I'm probably just, I'm not going to be able to appreciate right. as much as you, a teach a professional teacher would. Right. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. now again, I, I appreciate what he's doing because I understand aesthetically what the goals of those decisions are. Right. Um, and we talked about it at the top. It's, it's chaos about design, right? Like, I mean, even the locker room scenes are just, they're just wild. And that is by design. And it's, it's probably off putting to me because it's not a place or a thing that I want to be a part of, you know, Um, that there's nothing really appealing to me about being in that kind of scenario with that much like machismo and like, you know, pissing contests and all of that stuff. Like nothing about that appeals to me. Um, so that is not, it's not something that I want to be a part of like on a personal level. Right. But at the same time, again, just because it's not for me, doesn't mean that I don't understand the point of the film and the point of those decisions. Right. right. Um, because Oliver Stone is clearly trying to give us like a very realistic depiction of it. And I think in some ways it might even be borderline critical of it. Like why make it so violent? so violently loud and so violently visually chaotic because it's that's the way it is that's, that's the way the it, way it is when you're and i think that he's trying to show people like me who've never been out there on the field what it is actually like yeah and i think he gets that across he really and, does and what i've learned from that is that i don't want to be a part of it 
<laughs> you don't want you don't want to you don't want to give up your brain to the football gods. That's right. I just don't want to do it. Now, I I I do I I appreciate all of those things, but to me like after the third or fourth game of watching it like that, I was just ready for it to be over. I was ready for the game to be over and get back to the people. Fair enough. That's 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 just me. I mean, and and maybe it's like some of those scenes just went on like that first scene was like 30 minutes long. <laughs> I was like I was like, oh, this game's almost over. And then it was like halftime. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, and I think that, um, like I said, I think that there's a lot good here, but for, I, I think this is maybe what I was trying to get to for all of the games that I had to sit through. The one that I actually wanted to see was the one that they lost at the end. Yeah. I and I didn't get to see, to see that. I kind of like, would have wanted to see that. I feel like there are places you can trim and still give us a it, give us a little less in the other games and give us a little bit of that game. Yeah, but I kind of but the thing is is that the game wasn't the important aesthetic. It was Willie's growth and it was right, and it, I understand it, was, that, it was the growth. So that's why I think we don't see it. And that's kind of why I'm okay with that. So do you not think that there's something valuable in seeing how Willie grows as a result of losing the big one? Mm -mm. No, I don't. And here's why. Because Willie went into that game a leader. The whole point of this film and everything that they went through was to get Willie to be a leader, to be sort of a successor to Cap Rooney. And he was that. He became that. Movie over. Don't you we don't we don't we don't need to see him lose. Don't you think it's interesting though that if that's really the point of this movie, that we never see him again? After that conversation he has with coach after the playoff game, he's not at the press conference. Like if this is really his movie, then why doesn't he get to say? Well, something? because it's not really his movie. It's Tony's it's, movie. It's Tony's movie, but it's Willie's story. It's sort of how I think and work with me on this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It, it's, it's Willie's story, but it is Tony's movie to tell Willie's story. Tony was able to make, was able to coach Willie and to, and to help to be sort of the mentor that Willie needed to become what Willie saw himself as. Uh, but it's, but it's all, but this is a Tony, this is Tony D'Amato's film. Yeah. What was it that, that, that triggered the change in Willie from like blowhard hothead youngster to team player i think it was losing everything and like essentially i think it was losing he, the team he lost his losing girl. his girlfriend and and i think i'm um, getting the snot beat out of him and then the conversation with shark after shark cuts his vehicle in half which is hilarious which is very good yeah yeah um and then i mean al pacino delivers this really great speech which is like maybe the I think probably the most famous scene in the movie and probably for good reason, it's his killer speech. He does. He, and he kills it. Um, and that's the speech just before the, the final playoff game, the final game that we actually get to watch. And, you know, I mean, I get it. I think it's an interesting choice for the film, not to show us that final game. And, and I'm not ultimately really against it, but if you're going to do this, like, uh, 
it's almost kind of a montage at the end, right? Where the press conference, they're like walking, he's doing all these interview things. Like mm-hmm. some, some just like overlaid shots from that game would have, I think just satiated it. I just needed to see something. I just, I just need to see I can, something. I can, I can understand that. I can, I can understand. I don't have to watch the whole thing, but just like, even if it's just like highlights on, um, you know, uh, the doctor from Scrubs's TV show, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> I love him in this movie though. Like I he's he, he is he is so funny. Yeah. He, but he's such he's such a jerk. Well, he's always a jerk. He's he always plays that character. Right. Like, like do you remember like remember in Platoon, his character in Platoon? Hey Bob, what, what, what do you think we're gonna do, Bob? Yeah, he's, yeah. he's one of those guys that and I don't even know the actor's name. Um, um it's I'm looking at it right here. I'm trying John to John C. McGinley. Yeah, I almost called him John C. Riley. I know yeah, it's John that, C. That guy is in so much stuff that you don't even think about until you see him there. I know. And like, I remember, like, I loved him. Did you ever see Are We Done Yet with Ice Cube? Oh, a long time ago. But yeah, when they they move out to the country and he plays Chuck and Chuck is like perfect at everything, but he pisses Ice Cube off all the time. And he just has that smile. It's just like, oh, my God. Did you ever watch Stand Against Evil? Stand Against Evil. It's a TV show. No, I haven't. It's like, it's this guy, John C. McGinley plays Stan. And he mm-hmm. basically is like a really snarky postmodern Buffy the Vampire Slayer type who like fights demons and shit. Okay. Uh, it's hilarious. Like, <laughs> uh, I haven't seen all of it, but I've seen a, a good bit of it. It's pretty good. Uh, yeah. Is I mean, it I'm streaming just, anywhere. It was on Hulu for a while. Maybe start there. Um, okay. and check uh but yeah he's just uh i mean his his list he's in a ton of oliver stone stuff he really is uh, dr yeah. perry cox he's such a that's such a good character mm-hmm. um he was in 42 with chadwick boseman alex cross yeah. oh wow mm-hmm. apparently he was he was on the boondocks as well as the white shadow <laughs> <laughs> uh king of the hill he's done a ton of voice work um he's office amazing. space Oh yeah, he was. He's one of the bobs. Yeah, it's yeah. He's he's got a wild catalog, man. Um, but yeah, so let's see here. Uh, anything else that you'd like to say about any given Sunday? Who is your most unlikable character in this? We, we've been doing this a lot, and I really want to make this sort of a showcase of the, of our shows from now. Yeah, on. I think it, I think you're probably with it. I think it's probably James Woods. James Woods is probably like the slimiest of slimy characters. Cause, and I feel bad that we didn't get to talk as much about Cameron Diaz, but th- this will give us the chance here. Yeah. Cause at first I was on the fence first. It was between Cameron Diaz and, um, and um, James Woods's characters, but she got, she learned her lesson, but you also understand that she's a woman, probably like the only female executive in the right. entire league. So of course she's going to be even more aggressive. She's got a chip on her shoulder for sure. And right. her father had this like very successful legacy and she's trying to live up to that and make her own. Yeah. Right. So you get it. But then she actually realizes, Hey, I can still do this job and not be an asshole, yeah. but she is super aggressive, but she's hungry. And I love how she puts Willie in his place just as he's starting to get arrogant. Yeah. Like he seen he he says her name wrong and she handles it real nice and cool and and then when he tries to challenge her, that's when she slaps him down. 
Yeah, I love her confidence in this movie. Like she walks into the locker room. She don't care that the players are naked or whatever. She don't care. Yeah. It's and then she even looks at the one guy and goes, Don't stiffen up on me. Yeah, just she, keeps I, going. I love her in this. I, I never really thought I, I always thought that her actions were were justifiable. Maybe just because I think so of, too. Just because, like what you said, she's she's a, a woman in a man's world here, and she's gotta she's gotta like she has to flex on these people. She has to um, let them know that she's not gonna be talked right. down to, disrespected, none of that. And I mean, granted, she does go about the wrong way, but and because one of the guys even played by the late, great James Karen, who even says, you don't even love football. Mm-hmm. And she basically like, shut up. This yeah. is mine. Yeah. You know, but James Woods is the most hated. Like, he is the worst character. He needs punched in the face more than anybody, yeah. even more than Andrew Bonarski's character, the madman. Uh, now, uh, I think that if you were going to find a predator in this movie, it would he would be a linebacker. Uh, and he yeah, either that or maybe you know, God, maybe we need an offensive line full of predators because I'll tell you this that offensive line is garbage time, they are horrible. Like, I there's no reason why be... this man should snap the ball and immediately be dodging people. <laughs> well, yeah, like, I'm serious, it kind of feels you know what the offensive, the offensive line for the 1999 Miami Sharks. I seriously think that they took over for the offensive line of the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> mm. I mean, they were terrible. Well, the thing is, too, and then you got Julian Washington, who doesn't block anybody. He doesn't protect the ball. Like, I love when that little kid calls him out. Didn't you used to be Julian Washington? My dad (laughs) says you don't got heart no more. You know what that reminded me of? The scene in Airplane when the little kid is like, I know you. You're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Whenever Jamie Fox is run, I love the the commentary. Sometimes like he's carrying that ball like a loaf of bread. <laughs> <laughs> so we needed another Julian out there. I'm telling you, like I think sports commentary is some of the funniest shit to listen to because everybody involved. ESPN is 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 like this too, and this is no shade to your other venture, Vendetta Sports Media, but I think the sports commentary in general is too self important. Like is y'all yeah. talking about games, bro? Like <laughs> you're talking about stuff that you. Oh, I'm the. You know what? I probably shouldn't say this, <laughs> but I'm gonna say it anyway. There is a particular individual. I'm not gonna name names. Uh-oh. But there is a yeah. There is a particular individual over at Vendetta Sports Media that takes himself. See, I shouldn't have said it like that. They take themselves entirely <laughs> too seriously. Entirely too seriously. Yeah. I'm going to give you an example of this. A new individual joined the company, and a lot of us were welcoming this person, th- this individual to the team. And I said, Welcome to the island of misfit sports junkies. And of course, everyone who knows any sort of film cinema, any sort of um, pop culture knows that I'm making a, making the reference of the Island of Misfit Toys from Rudolph. Yeah, right. This individual, don't call me a misfit, Brian. I'm not a misfit. Oh, man. And I'm like, dude, seriously. Man. Not a misfit. I might be a sports junkie, but I'm not a misfit. That's how their voice sounds to me, by the way. Uh, right. And I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, you know what? I can't with you. We didn't go. It's like. Hey, 
Yes, of course. Who'd you think? Oh, well, then that's okay. Okay, who, may I ask, are you? We're Rudolph and Hermie and Yukon Cornelius, sir. Yukon Cornelius. You? I'm the official sentry of the Island of Misfit Toys. A jack-in-the-box for a sentry? Yes. My oh, God. Like, the voices are so ridiculous. <laughs> they are. Yukon Cornelius. That is a horrible name. <laughs> it is the worst. But no, in this cat, this individual just continues like anytime someone says anything at all, this person, it's instantly defensive. Like there, there was talk saying, you know, you got to start, you know, let, let's start sharing each other's posts out there so we can get our visibility. I'm not just going to share anybody's stuff because I'm networking and I don't want to lose my brand if someone says something that people don't like. I'm like, my name is. Don't tell me, Jack. No. <laughs> um, he, he's he's a may offer is what he is. Uh, like, I cannot stand like this person. It's like, dude, you take yourself so incredibly serious. Yeah. But maybe you should take all of that energy into, you know, networking with the company that you're in, yeah. and. Not, not like you ain't got to be friends with everybody, but have try to have a professional relationship with everyone that's at least not contentious because all oh, this person, like every other day, it's something with this person. It's like, you know what? I don't, need, I don't even like pay attention to you. You're an idiot. Yeah. So when you talk about, you know, sports stuff and people taking it entirely too seriously, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Now, everybody is not like that. Like, I think, I feel like, one of the reasons why I like to listen to Tony Romo do commentary. Tony so Romo seems like he's so chill. Right. Yeah. But then I listen to like Troy Aikman and um, oh, Troy Aikman's a he, what's he would his be face? So Trout mouth Troy. And um, who's that guy? He's always like Jim Nance uh, banging. No, he's the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's got like a real bromance going with this guy. Um, God, pay attention to those people. I know Jason Whitlock. I'd like to launch him into the Joe Buck. Joe Buck, yeah. Jason Whitlock, Joe Buck, Troy Aikman. Um, there's a lot of those guys that it's like, I can't with you. Like now, now Chris Berman seems like he's always having a party. He's always having a good time. Yeah. But some of these guys, it's just like, yeah, you need to settle down there, cousin. I mean, nobody parties like Jerry Jones. That's true. Hey, shout out to Dak Prescott getting getting Patrick Mahomes money. Oh god. Man, oh God. Dallas just paid that dude so much money to be mediocre. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I'm not, dude, I, we should have had you on the Tandemonium Sports Show last week because we were talking about that. Um, my co-host was like, there's so many quarterbacks that take above Dak Prescott. And I was like, but why? <laughs> it's like, listen, the... It's it's like, you know how every time somebody signs a big contract, they're always like, this is the biggest contract in the NFL for quarterback. I want them to start adding other caveats to it. Like, this is the biggest contract for a quarterback in the NFL that will only ever go nine and six or nine and seven or whatever. Right? Like, they will that miss, is true. That they is will miss. True. They will lose in the wild card more times than anyone else who's made $90 million. <laughs> It's like, hey, but guess what? They busted their asses to make that money. So, I mean, he he's got a good agent. <laughs> he really does. He don't, he he must have Willie Beeman's agent. <laughs> God, I'm telling him. Uh, did you ever watch Ballers? I think we've talked about this. 
You know what? I have not gotten a chance to watch Ballers yet, but I do intend to because I started watching Young Rock. Uh huh. And I'm into it, so I think I really do want to start watching Ballers. Ballers is really good. I've watched the first season. It's it's real solid. That's uh, that, Ballers is still going on, correct? I honestly don't know. Mm. Um, the Rock several, is so busy. I think so. Yeah. And the Rock um, is so busy. So busy. Can you imagine being Dwayne Johnson? The Wayne Johnson, uh, the Wayne Johnson. <laughs> I uh, cannot. There's not any part of his life that I can imagine having. <laughs> Dude, number one, I can't imagine like having enough time in my day to get up, work out for two hours, do movie stuff, business stuff, and then still be a parent. Like his life, like his his life is probably the most regulated thing. Ever. Yeah, you know, as when I when I see The Rock and I'm like, man, you know, it would be really cool to like have a physique like that to be able to work out all the time and and like be that ripped and you know, like that'd be cool. But I'm like, he gets up at like four in the morning. Yeah, like fuck that. Like I'm sleeping. <laughs> like I'll Me be too. fat, but I'll be well rested. <laughs> I mean, honestly, here's the thing, and I don't mean to come off as vain, but I'm staring at myself in the mirror a lot. Like I wake up in the morning, I roll out of bed. And even before, and even when, even if I had to go to the bathroom really, really bad, I take a good 10 to 15 seconds to admire myself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And then I go use the bathroom. And then while I'm waiting for the shower to warm up, I'm still admiring myself in the mirror. If I were Dwayne, the rock Johnson, that 15 seconds would turn into like 10 minutes. Yeah. I'd have no time to work out. I would just look at myself all the time. I'm serious. <laughs> and I would seriously just like walk around people wearing like, barely thigh high shorts and a tank top. Like that's all I'd wear around people that in suits. Oh, for sure. That dude like wears the hell out of a suit. Mm -hmm. The suits don't wear him. He wears the suits. That's right. Um, Let's see here. Any given Sunday, Brian was released on December 22nd, 1999. It was made on a $55 million budget and it made 100.2 million at the box office. Yeah. 52%. Um, a tomato meter on a Rotten Tomatoes with a 73% audience score. And, and that's from 100,000 plus ratings. So the audience appreciated any given sudden, Sunday way more than the talking heads that um, review cinema. Yeah, I mean, Richard Schickel from Time Magazine kind of has what has my opinion of, of the action. He says almost three hours of this jitter deteriorates from bravura filmmaking to annoying mannerism. And any given Sunday ends up less than the sum of its many often interesting parts, right? Like it is interesting. There's a lot of good stuff here, but I feel like it just doesn't always congeal in the best way. Um, but that's just me. That's just me. I mean, fair enough, but I'll tell you the truth. This is probably the best football movie I've watched ever. However, I will say that I would stack the television show Friday night lights up against any football, any football media. I got to start. I got to watch on um, Friday night lights. Then it is, it is maybe my number two favorite series of all time. What's number one. It oscillates honestly between Friday night lights and breaking bad. Um, I, I think breaking, I got to try breaking bad again. I think breaking bad, like it, it is, it's an, it's, it can be a slog at times, but if you can get to season two, man, breaking bad is remarkable. 
All right. I'll, you know what? I'll try giving it a try. For but me, I would, but I, if I'm you, I go Friday Night Lights first. Fair enough. It's, it's so fucking good. Now, season two of Friday Night Lights kind of almost jumps the shark a little too much, but it, but it settles back down. Gotcha. Uh, and, and then like season one is perfect. And then seasons three, four, and five are also all perfect. So, and it's got your boy Kyle Chandler in it, who I love. Nice. Nice. Uh, Connie nice. Britton. Ooh. Who I love. And a ton of other people that you're going to know, uh, including your boy, Michael B. Jordan. Woo! So, Adonis Creed, baby. Yeah. Uh, now, for me, my number one show of all time, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I love it. I love it. And, but see, it oscillates too between Buffy and Supernatural for me. Yeah. Absolutely. And then followed very closely by Frasier and Cheers, which also oscillates. Uh huh. Because when I'm in the mood for like, you know, just blue collar laughs, I'm watching Cheers. If I want something that's more of like cringe embarrassment hilarious, I'll watch Frasier. Oh, now, I mean, like my most. My the show that I go to the most is The Office. I mean, oh, that's same probably here. like for my me, it's all time it, favorite. If it's not The Office, it's going to be Community or um, It's Always Sunny. Yeah, I mean those are like I and and I I tend to break The Office and Always Sunny. Like those are my favorite comedies. Right. If I'm talking about drama or whatever, then my television, my my touch points for that is uh, always Breaking Bad or um, Friday Night Lights. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, but anyway, let's uh, get bartender Smiley in here and um, Smiley. see what um, you know some okay. bullshit that he's got to say. Me always talking that shit. The Plotaholics rating system for the movies is a pretty simple system. Basically, they rate movies based on how many shots it takes to get through them. So if you got a good movie and you get through it all the way sober, then it takes zero shots to get through the movie. And then if you got a really bad movie, then it could take up to five shots to get through the whole thing. I think you can try to figure out the middle part yourself. So what can I get you? All right. Uh, I'll go first. Okay. Uh, It is, I think Any Given Sunday is... Uh, a good movie it is a worthy movie it is probably one of the better football films it's very much form meets function right like the um the football scenes as we've said are violent and the hits hurt and it is sometimes difficult to watch uh and stomach the people and the relationships here are i think just from where i sit much more interesting than the actual football of the movie uh but you know, those two things kind of work in concert with each other. I'll say that there are places where I feel like the football action maybe goes a little too long or the pacing slows down a little too much or the payoff isn't quite what it needs to be, but it still is a very solid film. I will give this a one shot rating. This film is so much fun. The soundtrack fits minus any LL Cool J tracks. That's the only strike against the soundtrack for me. Every bit of casting in this film is just on point. There are no weak performances. And I feel like that, you know, this film launches the excellence that is Jamie Foxx. Um, I never feel bored. I never feel laggy. This is for a sports film. This is everything I could possibly want. This is a zero shot sports film for me. You're on a you're on a bit of a roll with the zero shots lately. Yeah, it's kind of bothering me. To be <laughs> it's it's really starting to bother me. 
if I if I have to if I have to um well I think that's what we truth. get for letting you dictate uh so many of the choices. You're just picking all of your favorites. That is that is a problem. We're gonna have to switch this up a little. Yeah, next week uh we will continue our sports block with major league and we'll wrap up the sports block at the end of the month with basketball. Um, <laughs> so you might have an opportunity there to not have a zero shot rating. Uh though that's I do true. Love that movie. I don't think that it's perfect. Um, same, same with, I mean, are we talking basketball? Yeah, I think probably the same for major league. Yeah. Major league and basketball both have their problems. So because they're, they're... honestly, I feel like we've got like a long run of potentially perfect films ahead of us after that. Yeah. Cause we um, got, we got the Godfather the first week of, um, April and then soul on in, um, April 11th and then school of rock and then tenant. Yeah, so uh, a good a good run ahead of us. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to get into all of that. And I guess uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say you best go and review uh, us over on the Apple Podcast app. It would be most appreciated if you did. You don't even have to say anything intelligible. You can just copy and paste a recipe if you want to or a track listing from a CD. Yeah, um, it but literally we need, doesn't we, matter what your review says. Absolutely, we just we need the likes, we need all of that. So help we us will out. be sure to read any reviews we get, no matter how nonsensical it may be. Uh, and yeah, be sure to check us out over on the YouTube's plotaholics.com. We've got uh, just uh, content for days, so check it out. And uh, we will be back here next week with Major League. Woo! Just a bit outside. Try the corner and missed. Take a trip with us to New Bog. Just promise not to drink the goo. Oh my God! If you get sucked into the Matrix, Matrix, we will send the phone for you. Do you believe in fate? Sometimes the end game is the perfect place to start. We're in the end game now. And other times you want to pretend. Prequels were never a real thing. Let's just pod race to the end. She's swerving! Every movie has a plot hole. And every hole gets filled somehow. Whiskey, wine, or blue milk. Just don't cut me off right now. With a Apart for you. for you, Shane and Brian are an island. Two real life misfit toys, wanting to be a Robocop. Thank you for your cooperation. Settling for Black Circle Boys, and just like Dr. Hammond. Extracting amber from wood And later there's running and then screaming A little too busy asking if we could And never asking if we should But every movie has a plot hole And every hole gets filled somehow With whiskey, wine, or blue milk 
Just don't cut me off right now with a potholics. A breakfast club of two with a potholics. Ripping plots apart for you. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man.